0: It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 183 for March 7th, 2010. Recorded on March 5th, 2010. Remember, with a name like Smuckers, it's got to be good, as spoken by Mason Adams. If you do, you're older than you look, but then so am I. Well, maybe not. To twist that marketing phrase just a bit, with a name like Alien Skin, it's got to be great. I've been looking at iCandy 6, and I was happy to find out that it's one of the Alien Skin products that works natively in a 64-bit operating system. I was even happier when I saw what it could do. So let me get the technical mumbo-jumbo out of the way first. When I say the application works natively in Windows 7 64-bit, I mean that you install the application, Photoshop sees it, and everything works as expected. All Alien Skin applications will run on a 64-bit computer, but some of the earlier applications will run properly only when they're running in a 32-bit implementation of Photoshop. The earlier applications will all be updated over the next year or so. The Later applications already work on the newer hardware. iCandy 6 is a champion when it comes to text manipulation, which is what I'll talk about first, but the real fun comes from manipulating photographic images. iCandy offers two kinds of text manipulations, ones that work best when applied individually and those that can be stacked. When you visit the TechBiter Worldwide website, you'll see some images and you'll see a gray checkered background. As you look at that background, keep in mind that the background is invisible. You would never see that. The gray checkerboard area simply represents areas of transparency. When the image is output and placed on a web page or in a publication, the background of the page will be visible where that checkerboard is. So, disregard the checkerboard entirely. It isn't there. With the exception of one image, you'll see screen captures of the work inside Photoshop. So I started with a bit of plain text that said TechBiter Worldwide. Each of the filter types has a variety of presets you can use to select the overall look. For example, when I selected flames, I could select from a number of different flames. The images you'll see show two different kinds of flames, The flames in one image are hot and clean. The flames in another image are not as hot, and they're quite sooty. Once you select an overall look, you can then adjust the components to get exactly the look you're looking for. And Alien Skin is always careful not to modify your existing artwork. After all, you might want the image later without the effect. All the new effects are applied to a copy of the artwork on a new layer. I tried a Green Glass Effect. That's good for St. Patrick's Day coming up very soon. And then I tried a really trippy Purple Corona. I tried to describe these, but really you just have to see them. So if you're not on the website already, head over there, www.techbiter.com, and take a look. Related to the fire filter, iCandy 6 has a smoke filter. Where there's smoke, there's probably fire. So the image that I used with the smoke filter hasn't quite yet burst into flames, but it's really smoldering pretty well. And then there are text images that can be stacked. So I started with a chrome effect on the TechBiter Worldwide graphic, added a bevel to it, which made it appear to be much more three-dimensional, and then added an extrusion effect. That really makes it three-dimensional. The text manipulations, neat as they are, are just the beginning. Photographic manipulations are where the real fun begins. And that's where I'll continue with this next week. So where do you get your news? A report by the Pew Research Center's Internet and American Life Project says that most Americans get their news the way you're hearing this via the Internet. More than 90% of us use multiple news sources, maybe some NPR while in the car, a newspaper at the office, or maybe you still have home delivery, perhaps some television if you can call what television spews news, and a variety of stops on the internet. Less than 40% of us depend only on offline sources for news. So you might ask if this is good or bad, and I would have to say, yes it is. I just wish I knew which. This section is part news and part commentary. Because I feel very strongly about journalism and honesty, it seems reasonable to point out which is which in this section, even though most people will be able to differentiate between the fact and the opinion. Let's start with a fact. Long ago, back in the 1960s or 70s, Americans read newspapers. And just about everybody watched one of the three network newscasts every evening. CBS, NBC, or ABC. Radio provided a headline service, as it still does, except for PBS, which actually provides some content. And magazines provided long-form serious analysis, as a few still do, if you can pick it out from the fluff. More fact, internet-based news sources now rank second to television as the main source of news. So here's an opinion. That's bad, in my view, because local television doesn't really do news. If it bleeds, it leads. That's been the longtime motto of local news. The more outrageous and shocking the reports are, the higher the ratings are, and the more money the station makes from the cash cow that used to be a money-losing public service. Fact again. The national media at least have fact-checkers and employees who are trained journalists. Radio, cable television, and probably the majority of Internet-based news sources are more opinion-based than fact-based. Here's another opinion. Belief-based religion is fine. Belief-based news is not. I'd really like some facts. Well, now let's intermingle a bit of fact and opinion. The good news is that the Internet makes it possible for anyone to provide news, analysis, commentary, and opinion from anywhere in the world, to anyone on the planet. Fact. What you'll find if you visit the BBC, Al Jazeera, France 24, TV Novosti's Russian Times, the CBC, Newsroom Finland, Brazil News, or China Daily, is that people there have about the same fears, goals, and desires as the people here. Opinion. That is most certainly a good thing. Fact. Fact. To a great extent, media loyalty is disappearing. time was, you watched CBS or NBC or ABC. You read Time or you read Newsweek or maybe U.S. News and World Report. Pew says that only about 20% of online news users depend on a single site. Let me sneak in an opinion here. That's probably good. Fact. About 25% of us obtain some of our news from our cell phones. Fact. The Pew survey says that nearly half of the Internet users who get their news online feel that it's important for them to customize what they see. Opinion. This is bad, maybe terrible. Newspapers have editorial pages and they have op-ed pages, the pages that contain opposing views opposite the editorial page. Readers may read the editorial or the op-ed piece, or they may not, but they are at least marginally exposed to the opposing point of view. Allowing users to eliminate the opposing point of view simply adds to the polarization that is already killing this society. Fact again, some things never change. In the mid-1960s, when I was a rock-and-roll DJ, the instructions were very clear. Come out of every record with the station calls, the time, and the temperature. I don't ever want a listener to tune to another station because we didn't give them the weather information, the program director said. So, I would say, Strawberry Fields Forever by the Beatles on the new WCLL, 123 a.m., 37 degrees. And then I'd punch up the next commercial. Fact. The Pew survey says that 81% of us search for weather information online. 73% of us look for national news. 52% seek sports news. And 47% look for entertainment or celebrity news. And that brings me to the final opinion. Where are we going and why are we in this handbasket? UltraEdit is a tool that probably not too many people need, although about 2 million people around the world use it. UltraEdit is a text editor. That means it's sort of like a word processor, except without the ability to create bold text, italics, bulleted lists, and stuff like that. It's the kind of application that programmers use, but there are some serious writers who use it, too, because it's fast and because it doesn't get in the way. Of uh, two million or so users of UltraEdit worldwide, probably about ten of them are writers. I'm not sure whether I count myself as a writer or a programmer, or just somebody who feels comfortable working in a text editor, but I've been using UltraEdit since about the time Ian Mead wrote the first version, back in 1994. Mead and his employees have created the text editor by which other similar programs are measured. Each succeeding version has brought new features that extend UltraEdit's capabilities. Two or three years ago, I invested in the Evergreen license. You pay about 1.5 times the cost of the program, and from then on, every update is provided without additional charge. The current price for UltraEdit is $60, and upgrades cost $30. If you're younger than 80 and you use UltraEdit, the Evergreen license makes a lot of sense. And that's how I came to download version 16 this week. UltraEdit has change bars now, All new or changed text has a red marker in the left column. When you save the document, the red marker changes to green, indicating that it's been saved. Close the document, and when you open it again, the change bars are gone. Nice feature. This is a good visual reminder that shows you just how much of your text hasn't yet been saved. Even though it hasn't been saved, the text really isn't at risk because UltraEdit regularly writes the temporary file to disk, and you can recover almost all of it if the computer crashes or the power goes out. For writers, the allure of a text editor is that you can't get hung up in spelling and formatting. There is a spell check function, but it's manual, and formatting isn't possible because it's all just plain text. You can worry about margins, columns, bold, italics, and all that stuff later. When you're writing, you need to concentrate on writing. That's why I use UltraEdit to prepare a lot of the content for TechBiter worldwide. But the main audience isn't writers. Ian Mead is a programmer, and his primary audience for UltraEdit is programmers. Currently available for Windows and Linux, a Mac version is in the works. The editor contains many powerful tools for programmers, including the ability to create macros, syntax highlighting that helps programmers write good code, code folding that compresses or expands sections of code, the ability to convert files between Windows, Mac, and Linux or Unix format, project management, regular expressions for search and replace, a column edit mode, the ability to edit files on remote machines via FTP, and the ability to have a lot of files open simultaneously and to save that file arrangement as a workspace. And believe me, that's just scratching the surface. Originally a 16-bit application, UltraEdit became a 32-bit application after version 6.20b. If you have to work with data files, you perhaps occasionally run into fixed-length files. These are an abomination, but they continue to be used. A fixed-length file is human-readable, but not very human-friendly. UltraEdit makes it possible to define column markings that help you keep track of the columns. Better still, you can create any number of column definitions and save them in an XML file that you can then share with your coworkers who use UltraEdit. I have to point out, this isn't a new feature, but it's one that was just pointed out to me in this version. It has been around for a while. There are so many features in UltraEdit that it's hard to find them all. Regular expressions are powerful, and UltraEdit has supported them for a long time, but the syntax is difficult to remember. UltraEdit has always had a good help file entry for regular expressions, but version 16 adds the Regex Builder, which is accessible in all find and replace dialogues. Use this feature long enough, and you might come to really understand regular expressions, or at least understand them a little better. Version 16 has lots of other new features, but most of them are so esoteric that they'll make sense only to hardcore programmers. If you're one of those folks, don't miss the latest version of UltraEdit. For a complete look at all the new features, take a look at the UltraEdit website. You'll find a link to it from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Bottom line for UltraEdit 16, five cats. In other words, the usual. With every new version of UltraEdit, I think that Mead and company have produced the ultimate text editor, the programmer's tool that can never be improved upon. And a year or so later, Mead and company come up with a new and improved version that improves on perfection. If you're a writer who uses a text editor for writing, you don't need the new version. If you're a programmer or somebody who works with data, get out your checkbook. Last Thursday, I received a message from Amazon.com to confirm my order. But wait, I don't have any open orders. The message came to an obsolete office address. Hmm. It's an address I have never used for any Amazon purchase But somebody who had recently placed an order with Amazon.com might be tempted to click that link. That would be a mistake. Not a fatal mistake, just an annoyance. The link wouldn't take you to a site that would turn your computer into a zombie. In this case, it would take you only to a fake Canadian pharmacy. Now, wait a minute. If I know where the link goes, I must have stupidly clicked it, right? Wrong. First, though, let's consider the message itself. The headline. Amazon.com, your confirmation, it said, and displayed a reasonable Amazon-like order number. The message claimed to be from autoconfirm at Amazon.com, but you already know how easy it is to fake that. Several fatal clues exist to reveal that the message is a fake. The order number in the body of the message doesn't match the order number on the subject line. That's just plain stupid. I am addressed as Dear Customer. Amazon would clearly know my name. And there were three words in the text that should contain apostrophes. Instead, they contain the backtick character. And that's it. That's all there is. No egregious grammatical errors. No giant spelling errors. And that makes this message dangerous. I've been warning for quite some time that the bad guys would eventually figure out how to create messages that look real. That time has come. So if I didn't click the link, how would I find out where it went? I collected the link text from the message and handed it over to Sam Spade, a utility program that can transmit an HTTP request and then display the HTML the site returns. The first page was simply a redirector. It uses a bit of JavaScript and sends me on to the payload page. In this case, the payload was tame, nothing more than a website for a Canadian pharmacy. That is neither Canadian nor a pharmacy. It could have been a lot worse. It might have been a link to a site that plants malware on the computer. If you land on one of those sites and you don't have a fully patched computer, and maybe even if you do, the site will load malware that could turn your computer into a spam bot, a porn server, or maybe just install a keylogger that sends your banking information to people you really don't want to have it. The next tool I used was the Central Ops website. I gave it the domain name of the pharmacy and learned that it was registered in China. So I examined the globe. And I learned that China is not particularly close to Canada, except in the alphabet. It seems to me that the average Canadian pharmacist who wanted to put his business online would use a Canadian or a U.S. registrar, not one in China. But let's play along. Let's say that a Canadian pharmacy really did register a domain with China Springboard, Inc. Wouldn't you think that the Canadian pharmacy would at least want to host its site on a Canadian or U.S. server? The site is actually hosted on a server that's located in Taiwan, or at least that's what the registrar claims. Maybe the registrar is mistaken, so I asked Central Ops to trace the route from me back to the Canadian pharmacy, and indeed, it is located in Taiwan. Would you want to do business with a Canadian pharmacy that's in Taiwan? Would you want to do business with someone who tricks you into visiting their website by sending a message that claims to come from Amazon.com? I wouldn't. But that's not the main point. The main point is that fake messages are becoming harder to spot. The crooks are getting better at what they do. And that's why it's important to treat every message you receive with a bit of skepticism. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.